any person living can stand before a pastor or a judge and say the words, I do. How many of you guys have said those words before? Some of you guys, awesome. Some of you guys are ashamed apparently. Anyone, anywhere can stand before a pastor or a judge and say the words, I do. It takes, it takes a completely different person, a, a completely committed individual, 20, 30, 40 years later, to still be saying, till death do us part. Anybody can say, I'll pay you back. Come on now. Anybody in this entire room or this world can tell anybody, hey, buddy, I'll pay you back. Don't worry about that. It takes a whole nother kind of individual to actually put the dollar bills, y'all, on the table. You see what I'm saying? Anybody in the entire world can sit across from your boss and say, I'll improve, I'll get better. I promise, don't worry about it. Anybody, anybody can say, I'll be there on time. Let me just hone in on this one a little bit. Some of you who are perpetually late need to literally get on your face and repent tonight, all right? Some of you who are constantly saying, hey, I'll be there on time, I'll be there at 5 o'clock. Please, for the love, don't show up at 5.15 then, all right? How many of you, just, just in a moment of confession, can just say, you know what, that's me, I'm constantly late. Just so we can identify you and be prepared for you. Okay, perfect, all of you. You're the same people who just walked in. Awesome. Welcome to the service. Anybody can say, I promise I'll never tell anybody that. How many times have we been told this? We have so much baggage with this comment because we're always like, are you sure? And anytime anybody ever tells us, hey, I'll promise I'll never tell anybody that, we're always like, are you sure? Because if you told anybody, I mean, it would be disastrous. And then we're sending like a follow-up text, like, please, please, did you get that? Don't tell anybody. We're sending the extra email, making the extra phone call. I mean, friends, listen to this. We, as a culture, have a tremendous amount of baggage with the words, I promise. I mean, we've heard it all our life. We've heard our parents say, I promise. We've heard wives and husbands say, I promise. We've heard bosses and co-workers and great friends say, I promise. And what we, keep, like, we keep letting each other down, don't we? And what happens is, is anytime we see the word promise, then it instantly pulls up in our souls this great amount of baggage where we constantly have to be asking, are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, I know I heard the words, I promise, but there's a huge disconnect all around me with what people say and what they do. So are you sure? Because if you're sure, and if you're really, really sure, and then if you're really, really sure, and if you're really, really sure, then I might believe you. We have to go through that process any single time that someone says, I promise. I wonder how many times that what happens here and now between us causes us to see our Father in the exact same light. Is it possible that we look at Scripture and it instantly drums up all of that exact same baggage. No, no, no. Let, 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 me, let me talk about something for a second. Um, it's possible if you have no belief about the Bible, and if you were just looking at it for like the very first time and you were reading it, it would read like, like some great story. The, the Bible's comprised of 66 books, 39 
in the Old Testament. And let me just share with you briefly what the theme of the Old Testament was. It was basically the establishment of the Jewish people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we see kind of the the pull away of the Israelite nation, the calling of the Israelite nation, the promise from God that He had a land for them. And pretty much the rest of the Old Testament is the battle between what God is promising the Israel nation, what the Israel nation is accepting, what they're denying, how they're walking away from God. There's all of this stuff that's happening, but through the entire Old Testament, there is this talk of one that is to come. Like the Israel nation, even though they're falling away and confused, there is this line through the entire Old Testament that keeps talking about this Messiah that keeps saying that no matter how bad it gets here, there will be one that will come and will redeem. I mean, Israel, the Israelite nation, were, they were deported at once. They were enslaved at once. They were constantly being oppressed. And the message and the promise of the entire Old Testament is, is there's one coming, the Messiah. He, he's going to come. I promise. I'm going to send someone. Now, if you read the stories of when the Old Testament is communicating about this one is to come, and you had no like, background in the Bible, you were just reading it, you would say something like, well, well, anybody could write that. Let me show you what I mean. Jeremiah chapter 23. Put this up. This is one of those times. The days are coming, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah chapter 23. When I will ri- uh, raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Now, if you know nothing about the Bible and you're reading this, you're like, this makes for an amazing story. Why? Because if the Messiah is going to come from a line, it would be awesome if he came from the line of David. Because if you've ever heard of like David or David and Goliath, you instantly think of this huge like warrior and we find out later that David came from the line of Abraham and so instantly like there's this connection between the lineage of the Messiah is going to come from this great king so if you're into stories you would say like anybody could write that because it makes for a great story the Messiah is going to come from a great line and so if you don't believe anything about the scriptures and you're reading this like you're reading a story you would look at that and you're you would be enthralled by the plots You're like, oh, sweet. So the Messiah is going to come from like the greatest line in the Old Testament? Yes. Awesome. That's what you would say. You would be looking at the story through that vantage point. It gets better when you look at Micah chapter 5. Put this up for us, please. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, this is this is awesome. Because you're like, you're, you're getting like enthralled by the plots. And then all of a sudden, the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. It's like, like pick a random city, McGee. You know what I mean? I mean, Bethlehem is literally like Podunkville. You know what I mean? It's like Wentzville times five. I mean, it is the, yeah, it's the epitome of nowhere. I mean, this, this city, this, it, it's just no. And so if you were like writing the story, you would look at this and you well, anyone would write that. Because it like creates this better plot. The Messiah is going to come from the line of David, and he's going to be born in some random city called Bethlehem. Wow, that's, that's pretty sweet. And not just that, but therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she, who is in labor, gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Apparently, the Messiah is going to come to us like God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is going to come through 
A woman, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. You're reading this, just like you're reading a story. And you're like, man, this is awesome, like great, this is a great story. And you find yourself getting enthralled by it. But, but you could look at this and you could say, anyone could write that. Like any author in our day and age would write that. Why? Because the entire nation is waiting on a Messiah. The entire nation is waiting on the one who will come and redeem them. So anything like this would give them hope, wouldn't it? Any reading about the one that is to come and and he's going to be great and he's going to shepherd his flock, that would instantaneously give you a tremendous amount of hope. But the plot gets even better. Isaiah 7, please. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. (laughs) You're sitting here reading this just like you're reading this. Whoa! So, the Messiah is going to come from the greatest line, from David. He's going to be born in random city McGee called Bethlehem. And he's going to be born to a virgin? Like, the story's amazing, you know what I mean? Like, like Harry Potter, some of these, you know, epic stories of our day, like, they can't even touch this. If you're reading it as a story, you'd say, anyone would write this, because this would, like, give you this great amount of hope. He's going to come from a virgin. I mean, this is some crazy story. And thankfully, he's not done. Isaiah chapter 9, look at this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Well, you're a Jew. When you hear the word government, what do you think of? I mean, you have to understand, like, for someone to read that the government is going to be on his shoulders, what does that mean? That means the one that's to come, all of a sudden, is going to flip the government upside down. And the government, in your understanding, has taxed you like crazy, has oppressed you like crazy, has deported you to other lands. And so when you read something like this, you're like, anyone would write this because this is just, this brings a great amount of hope. I mean, I'll read this, I get hopeful because here I am a Jew and I'm just getting, I'm just getting downtrodden because I'm just burdened by all the slavery. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. He's going to be so great. Of the increase of His government and peace there will be, what's the word? No. End. And you're getting really excited. You're reading this, just like you're reading a story, you're like, oh my goodness, like, if, if He were to come, and if there were to be no end to His rule, if it were just to continue and go on and on, I can barely picture that or fathom that is so great. He will reign on what's that David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. If you knew nothing about the Scriptures, if you had never read it before, ever, and you were looking at the Bible from page to page to page in the Old Testament, and you were seeing prophecy after prophecy about the one that was to come, you would be just captured by a great amount of hope. But you would also be captured by the reality that, like, well, of course someone would write this. Like, this would cause a depressed, depraved people to have a great amount of hope. Friends, what happens? What happens when all of the words and all of the stories come true?
So I was sitting two weeks ago, and I, I was sitting in my car, and I was thinking about Christmas. And I was just over, overwhelmed with the thought and the image of 300 prophecies about Jesus coming true. Like my heart started to race as I began to think about how faithful He was. About how great He was. That if I was reading the Old Testament and knew nothing about the Scripture, and then I heard this, and then I saw this, and then I realized that that He keeps His promises, and not just any promise, but friends, can we agree, the greatest promise. The promise of a Redeemer that would come in a manger in Bethlehem, humbly live a perfect life, go to a cross, bleed for our sins, and be raised from the third day, and go back and wait and come back and take His believers with Him, friends. Like I was just overcome with the fact that He keeps His promise. And then I was thinking about all of the hundreds of other promises in Scripture. Hundreds. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He is faithful when we are faithless. He is just. He is good. He's loving. And all of a sudden, like it, it came to me that what this promise was, and in Christ keeping the promise of the Messiah, what He did was He validated every other promise. If, if the greatest promise can come true, if, the, if He can accomplish the greatest promise, then what does it mean for every other promise in Scripture? All of a sudden, you begin to see the Scripture through the lens of the, of the Messiah. All of a sudden you begin to read the text and it jumps out at you and you believe it wholeheartedly because you know that He sent Him. And not just did He send Him, but He accomplished His purpose. He took the sins of the world and went to the cross, friends. It'd be like this. It'd be like one of you saying, Hey Mark, I have the power to give you the world. And I was like, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Like, uh, that'd, be, that'd be cool. And then the next day you hand me this un, like unlimited check, and you say, you know what? This is worth like infinity. You can never run out of any dollars. You're like, what? Are you kidding? Like, what? And, and, and then, oh, by the way, you're going to be president of not the United States, but the world. Like to say that he could give like power, or one of you could give so, someone else power, and then you would you were to do it. Like that would be a, like accomplishing the hardest promise ever. I would believe every single word that you said from then on. You just told me like something impossible, something that you can never do, and then you provide, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my, like I would believe everything you did, everything you said, everything I saw about you, then why do we struggle seeing a manger, seeing a cross, and looking at all of the other promises, and still sitting in unbelief? Christmas is about the fulfillment of the Messiah who has come. So that we can see all of the hundreds of promises through the rest of the text and say, if you did that, I would believe anything that you would say. Friends, this Christmas is about seeing the utmost faithfulness of God and nothing else. Tonight, 
we're going to have a chance to respond. We're going to have a chance to repent of our unbelief. Yeah, see, I mean, we can get excited about Christmas and Easter. Those are the two major Christian holidays. But when, when he says, like, I give rest for the weary, we're like, no, I don't think so. If he said the Messiah, then I believe him when he says that he has rest for the weary, friends. Tonight, each of us are going to have an opportunity to respond. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. And then looking back on it all, in his last days here, he took the bread and standing before and sitting before his disciples, he said, boys, men, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Never forget any single one of my promises. Never begin to rest in yourself. Believe that I am with you. Take this bread and remember me. And then he held up the cup. He said, this is my blood which will be shed for you. It's necessary. It's been my purpose. Take this and drink and do this in remembrance of me as a reminder of the forgiveness of sins. And all of the disciples ate and drank. And tonight, we get to deal with the greatest promise. Communion is a meal for believers. If you're in here tonight and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this meal is for you. At Matthias' lot, we take communion by intention. In other words, we pull off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Scripture is very clear, though, what, ha- what must happen in our hearts before we approach communion. We must, we, we must look inwardly. We must repent. And then we get the opportunity tonight to deal and to celebrate and to reflect on the greatest promise. But that's not it tonight, friends. Some friends and I have put together something else for you. Tonight, we must deal with the greatest promise, but then begin to work through all of the other promises in Scripture. We've we've chosen 50 tonight. After you take communion and in the act of response and you come up, I'm going to, as we come up along here, I'm just going to ask that you would take one of these and that you would go back to your seat and that you would begin to look at these through the lens of a Messiah that has come. That you would begin to see that He fulfilled the greatest promise, that He keeps His promises, and so that when we read, He saves us from our distress. His eye is on those who hope in His love. He defends the fatherless and the widow, that all of a sudden we would be overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God this Christmas. So friends, tonight... Maybe unlike any Christmas ever that you've had, for me this definitely is. That each of us would repent of our dis and unbelief. That we would celebrate the greatest promise. And that each of us tonight would begin to deal with the other promises from Scripture. Tonight, this Christmas, may we see the faithfulness of God 
in a way that we never have before. He keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, I ask um, I ask tonight that right now that you overwhelm us with the reality of yourself, that we're overcome this Christmas with 300 prophecies that came true. Every single prophecy that was said about you in the Old Testament came a reality, friend, uh, God, that we'll, just be, that we'll just get overwhelmed with that fact that we won't see Scripture as some fable or fairy tale or even story, that we see it as life-giving and ultimate truth and the way to better see you as Father God, as Jesus the Son, and as the Spirit, God in three persons. Overwhelm us tonight with your faithfulness, O God, and break us of our unbelief. Respond tonight when you're ready.